0: Who I trust more than anyone at Birch Gold Group, text Just News to 989898 right now. Hello, America, and welcome to the Sunday edition of John Solomon Reports. That's right, we're doing Sundays now regularly. You know why? We're having all these great guests, not only on the podcast, but on my brand new television show with my great co host, Amanda Head, called Just the News, Not Noise. It is on every day, Monday through Friday. on Real America's Voice, Channel 219 on the Dish Network, Channel 240 on the Pluto Network. On all the apps, including the Just the News app, click on the TV tab. You can go there or the Watch button down below. Same thing on the website. You can go to TV tab or you can download the Real America's Voice and get more programming like that show 24-7 from all the other great talents that are on the network. Today, we put together some really, really great guests for you, a potpourri of the best from this week's interviews on the show. Senator Ron Johnson has a lot to say about Ukraine, has a lot to say about medical choice and restoring doctors' powers, particularly when it comes to prescribing off-label approved medications. He sponsored legislation. He's got a Great conversation with us. You're going to want to tune in for that. We then have the one, the only, Bill O'Reilly, one of America's greatest journalists of the last half century, the current host of No Spin News, the author of, get a load of this, 17 best-selling books. And he's got another one coming out called Killing the Killers that talks about the U.S. war against terrorism, a fantastic book. He actually says... This is his best work ever. And that's saying something given the trail of books he's given us. We've got two long sessions with Bill O'Reilly. You're going to enjoy that. And then Phil Klein, the head of the Amistad Project, one of the most cogent voices in election integrity. He's got a word of major warning. And I mean this major warning. You know what he's saying? He's saying that America has not fixed most of the 2020 election integrity irregularities that we've now exposed, and we're in danger of a repeat in 2024. Uh-oh. That sounds familiar. I think I've been saying that a little bit too. We want to definitely get him on here. You're going to want to listen to that. He goes through it with great clarity. And then finally, going to wrap up the show with none other than Congressman Ralph Norman from the great state of South Carolina. He is taking on a major ethics issue in the Energy Department with Energy Secretary Granholm, a really amazing scandal that most of the mainstream media have been trying to suffocate, but it is gaining momentum. Congressman Norman brings us up to speed on that. How lucky could we be? What a great lineup. So excited. Stay tuned. You're going to really enjoy it. Good evening, America, and welcome to Just the News, our show here on the Real America's Voice Network. I'm John Solomon, joined in studio once again by my amazing co-host, Amanda Head. So let's get started. To do that, let's remind folks that during the coronavirus pandemic, doctors and healthcare prescribers all across our nation were not allowed always to make decisions based on what their education said or what their best interests were for their patient. Many of them feared the COVID police would come knocking on their door with a fine. Further regulations are worse yet a loss of their medical license. Three senators, including our next guest, have introduced legislation in Congress to reaffirm the doctor's right to treat patients without interference from federal health agencies, such as the CDC, the FDA, and the Department of Health and Human Services. Essentially, this legislation gives the power back to doctors across this great country to practice medicine the way they did before the pandemic. So joining us right now to discuss this legislation is Senator Ron Johnson of Wisconsin. Senator, thanks for taking the time to join us this evening. Hello, John. Hello, Amanda. Happy to be here. Yeah, this is a very important piece of legislation. What motivated, I know you did some hearings a few months ago and really brought out a lot of the insanity that went across this country, but what's behind this legislation? What's the reaction been to it?
1: Well, I've been advocating for uh, early treatment really since March of 2020. I think our federal health agencies should have robustly researched and explored, you know, a number of treatments and and right now talking to doctors who've actually had the courage and compassion to treat COVID patients, there's literally a cornucopia of uh, widely available, uh, safe, generic drugs that the doctors are using successfully to treat patients. The problem is the COVID cartel uh, basically won't allow it. The Biden administration, the health agencies, uh, Big Pharma, Legacy Media, and uh, the big tech social media giants uh, They've been sabotaging uh, early treatment. So you know, from my standpoint, I think doctors should be the at the very top of the pyramid of uh, treatment of patients, uh, of medical practice. And that's been turned on its head. Right right now, doctors are at the bottom of the pyramid. They're being crushed by these health agencies, by the COVID cartel. Uh, nobody else has the primary responsibility to the patient. It's, it's doctors that take the Hippocratic oath. And you know, no two human beings are alike. So you actually need doctors and nurses to utilize their their training to treat each individual uh, individually. Uh, as well as, we have to recognize the doctors have absolute off label prescription rights. If, you, if there's an FDA approved drug, doctors can utilizing their medical judgment use those, use that drug for the treatment of any other illness. Um, and they've not been allowed to do that with the certain unnamed drugs that uh, the, the, the COVID cartel won't allow. So our piece of legislation is really pretty simple. It uh, it's, should not be required, but uh, I think it is required at this point in time. So it basically says uh, federal health agencies, the uh, federal government cannot regulate medicine, and they can do nothing to prohibit doctors from using their full off-label prescription rights to treat their patients.
2: I mean, it just seems like common sense. Allow doctors to do what they do best. And I mean, this is what happens when government gets in the way. Um, included in the text of this legislation, I know this is something that's been on your heart for a long time, and a lot of Americans have been hoping for something like this to come across the legislative docket. Um, did you draw a lot from your second opinion panel uh, as far as what you put in this bill?
1: Well, I think our second opinion panel was, was crucial. We have over 2 million views on Rumble 1.3 million views on our 38-minute highlight reel. Uh, but this is something that's been, you know, again, it shouldn't be necessary. But as we've gone two years now, and NIH guideline continues to be, if you test positive for COVID, basically do nothing. Go home afraid, isolate yourself until your lips turn blue, and then go into hospital where you also will probably be under-treat as well. So this, is, this has been needed for quite some time, uh, so we finally introduced it.
0: Yeah, such an important moment that hearing and people are still talking about it and it really made a difference in the the dialogue. I wanna pivot to national security because you have been one of the voices early on warning that the way we exited from Afghanistan would likely reap trouble here in this country. And over the weekend, there was a Pentagon Inspector General report that revealed that 50 of the Afghan refugees brought to the United States were brought here without DOD officials knowing that they had serious security risks in their background files. And there are 28 Afghans currently unaccounted for who have significant derogatory information. That, according to the Pentagon, Inspector General, you've got a fort right in your own backyard uh, where they're processing these refugees. Your reaction to that report?
1: Well, my guess, that's probably an understatement. Uh, what we learned is actually quite shocking. You know, as, as much as the administration said that these people were fully vetted, that they were vetted against negative databases. And so you actually had to be on a terror tr- or a terror watch list or a no-fly list. Now, how many ISIS terrorists do you think are actually on those I- on those watch lists? So, it was such chaos because the uh, withdrawal was so it was handled so incompetently. You know, as you know, more than hundred thousand people flooded inside the, the Kabul airport. They didn't know who they were, I and mean, we just started airlifting. We just played a numbers game here. Uh, what we certainly found out afterwards is people that had no idea whatsoever were given an ID, and based on that new I- identification, they were given uh, Crowley status, they were given immigration rights, immigration, immigration benefits, and we literally had no idea who these people are now. I think the vast majority of those people that went into the Kabul airport wanted to escape the Taliban. I don't think they poses a security risk, but we have no idea who all was airlifted out of there, and I still have no confidence that there was a thorough vetting job done of the 60 to 70,000 people that have currently been led into this country.
3: That's
2: profound negligence. Um, Senator, back in September, the Biden administration released released a statement. They said that uh, they would be conducting thorough scrutiny, security screenings for everyone who is not a U.S. citizen or a lawful permanent resident. A lot of Americans are wondering, did the Biden administration lie? Was this oversight? Did they just drop the ball again?
1: I would consider it a lie. They never were going to do that. They had no capability of doing it. They just, again, played a numbers game. They got them in this country, gave them parole status, gave them immigration benefits. And I guess they're hoping for the best. But you know, this is just one of the many disasters uh, created by the Biden administration, the open border, the out-of-control spending, seven half percent inflation, uh, this embarrassing and dangerous uh, surrender in Afghanistan. You know, why do you think Putin is knocking on the door of Ukraine right now? It's the weakness that uh, President Biden's policies are creating across the board in America.
0: Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, Senator, you've been one of those who have traveled to Ukraine many times. You've been an eloquent voice for Ukraine in Eastern Europe for a long time. A lot of breaking news today. Putin recognizes the two breakaway uh, areas in Ukraine and also has just ordered the troops to be deployed there to protect those residents. Your reaction to the latest developments and how do we avoid going to war here?
1: I was, I was reading uh, President Zelensky's speech to the Munich Security Conference. Uh, I would recommend everybody read that. Uh, this does threaten uh, Europe and European security, and the, and the world order is certainly. We've seen it since NATO was established uh, 75 years ago. Um, this, these are dangerous times, and for anybody to think that what happens in Ukraine is not going to affect us, uh, I think they really ought to have some second thoughts about that type of outlook. Uh, but the fact, fact of the matter is, there's not much we can do right now. Uh, What we should have done is is maintain strength. Uh, You do achieve peace with strength, but that's not just military strength. It's also economic strength. And as I was saying earlier, just about every action President Biden has taken has weakened America. It's emboldened our enemies. They're very optimistic. They're very aggressive. When they sense weakness, they're going to act. And that's what we're seeing right now. I will note it's interesting because I've been meeting with uh, uh, the ambassadors of surrounding countries, almost to an ambassador, to an ambassador. None of them think that, that uh, Putin is going to invade. So I, I kind of scratched my head going, you know, what, 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 what all is happening here? Is this just some major bluff? Is uh, Putin trying to extract concessions out of, out of Biden, which seems like he was more than willing to do until European leaders, uh, I think, injected a, a spine in him. Uh, so I, I don't know what's happening. I, I'm not going to predict it. I, I just think it would be a major mistake for Putin to actually invade. The Ukrainians are not going to just roll over. This would be a bloody conflict. Uh, they may be able to conquer you know, ma- major cities very quickly, but the countryside and Ukraine, uh, they're, they're not gonna con- conquer Ukrainian spirit.
2: Yeah, the intelligence on this is uh, murky at best, but I wanna switch gears, Senator, we've got about a minute left. What is the latest on the 2020 election and election integrity in Wisconsin?
1: Well, we are certainly trying to investigate all the irregularities. And, and that's exactly what we should do. From my standpoint, the goal is to restore confidence in our election system. Uh, I'm, I'm heartened by the fact that the set of Americans agree with voter ID because they don't want their legitimate vote canceled by a fraudulent one. And of course, uh, it was the Carter Baker Commission that said that the absentee balloting would probably be the, the area where there's the greatest potential for fraud. So you just have to make sure that the controls are, are actually not only uh, implemented, but followed. And what happened in Wisconsin is is we increased absentee balloting, we relaxed all the controls. We had something called the Wisconsin Election Commission. They issued guidances completely contrary to Wisconsin state law that's been in place to create those kinds of controls, create that level of confidence. So first step in Wisconsin is follow the law regarding elections, then yep. honestly take a look at what abuses might have taken
0: place and fix those as well. Those are such important moments there. Mm-hmm. Senator, thank you so much for your time, Tim. It's an honor to have you on the show. We're going to take a quick commercial break. We're going to be back in just a few seconds.
2: As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you... Where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter, be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast.
4: As a professional welder, Shana Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact.
2: Welcome back from the break. If you are just now tuning in tonight, welcome. I am your co-host, Amanda Head, here with John Solomon and joined by No Spin News host, the one, the only, Bill O'Reilly.
0: We're really excited about that.
2: Yes, we are. John, we have a lot to discuss in a little amount of time, so I don't want to waste any more time. Let's bring in the legendary journalist who I have admired throughout the tenure of my political commentating career, Bill O'Reilly. Bill, it's an honor to introduce you to have you on our show and uh, glad you're here.
5: Thank you, Amanda, I appreciate that.
2: Our pleasure, okay, I wanna get right to midterms. Uh, What is your landscape view of what's gonna happen in November? Do Republicans take it back? If so, by how many seats?
5: I can't do the seat thing. Uh, I'm not good enough at math, Um, but I think that the Democratic Party's in serious trouble um, because people historically in this country vote their wallets. And, you know, Republicans don't like anything about the Democratic Party these days and vice versa. Um, But the independents, they are the ones that really distribute power in America now. And uh, Donald Trump would have won the election. He would be president now if the independents hadn't turned on him. Um, But I think they're going to come back because of the inflation and the higher prices and the general chaos violent crime. I mean, across the board, it's hard to find good news in the American landscape. So whenever that happens, a la Jimmy Carter, for example, the party in power gets tossed. And uh, so I believe the Republicans would do very well in November, which is coming up fast, uh, only about
0: seven months now. You know, Bill, you mentioned Jimmy Carter. I can't remember a time since Carter where we saw something like what played out this weekend where the leader of Ukraine not once but twice called out our president, once saying, uh, what good are sanctions if you wait to after the invasion? And then two, uh, uh, you're gonna have to build our own force because there's nobody here to defend us. This is a country 20 years ago, Bill Clinton took nuclear weapons away from and we promised them security. Now they feel very insecure. How does Joe Biden look on the world stage with all this going on?
5: You know, the world stage is different, John, as you know, than the American stage. So uh, Biden is perceived here in the U.S.A. as being very weak. And he is. He's a weak president. Americans voted for a weak man to run this country in response for a strong man who many independents just didn't like. That was a huge mistake, by the way. You didn't see Putin doing this kind of escalation when Trump was president. And, you know, we have uh, the uh, Trump O'Reilly History Tour streaming on BillO'Reilly.com this week, John. And we talk a lot about Putin and a lot about how Trump contained him. But once Trump left, then Putin realized that after Afghanistan, um, Biden really didn't know what he was doing. And so he took this ridiculous stroke because this is going to come back and hurt Putin, I believe. I don't think Putin's going to get away with this, as many conservatives do. I don't. I don't think he is. He's going to get hurt. But if you look at uh, the United States, uh, Biden is really suspect here. Abroad, it's a little bit different. They don't know the ins and outs of what we're doing here. Uh, Inflation is really hurting working people in America. Do they care about that in Portugal? No. So I think that Biden plays much better to a European audience that sees him escalating uh, rather than throwing hand grenades into uh, Ukraine, um, see them escalating, but not provoking. I think that's how they're seeing it in Europe.
2: You've been on this incredibly successful nationwide tour with President Trump. For those many people who were not able to get tickets because they were sold out shows, talk to us about about those uh, those events that took place.
5: Well, what we got on the record is amazing. And again, if you want to see some of it, go to BillO'Reilly.com this evening and tomorrow because we're streaming it. But it was basically a different Donald Trump. It wasn't the bombastic hyperbola, throwing, you know, grenades everywhere. It was a very, all right, you did this. How did you make it happen? So we talked about the vaccine. We talked about how there was no inflation under the Trump administration, even though COVID was raging. So what's the difference? Very, very specific areas. And I told him before the shows, I said, look, this is history. We've got four cameras here on stage recording everything. You're going to have it. I'm going to have it. But if you answer in a historical way what exactly you did and did not do and why, I think that it's going to be a home run, which it turned out to be. And uh, I can tell you stories about how the left wing press was furious that this was a success. Um, But the most important thing is we got a lot of uh, things on the record that Americans really didn't know about how Donald Trump
0: governed. And I think it was very important. Yeah. Yeah, Watching those. And they are amazing. I I, I tuned in some again this week just because I want to refresh myself you really understand that there is a Trump doctrine, that there was a very sim- uh, clear set of principles that drove Donald Trump's decisions on the world stage and here in America. Uh, the Biden doctrine seems to be one of chaos. How would Joe, how would Donald Trump be addressing this moment in history were he in the White House?
5: Well, it wouldn't be happening. I, I'm 100% sure of that. Putin feared Trump to some extent. Um, and Trump was respectful to Putin and got criticized for being respectful to him. Remember, Putin has been a bad, evil guy for a long time. He did hack us like crazy. He tried to interfere in not only the uh, 16 election, but the 20 election, and he does bad things. But Trump contained him because um, just like the Taliban, whom Trump contained as well in Afghanistan, Putin knew if he did something like invade Ukraine on Trump's watch, that Trump was capable of doing anything. And Putin did not want that kind of a problem. So he refrained. But Donald Trump is a transactional man. He governed totally different than every other president we've ever had here. It was all deals, business deals. You do this for me, I'll do this for you, we'll both win. All right. That's how he governed. And it was successful both domestically and in foreign policy. Now. People might not like him because of his personality, the way he uh, speaks, but you can't argue that it was a very prosperous four years, not only for the United States, but also for the world.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's no surprise that he literally wrote the book on deal dealmaking. Uh, I want to shift over to what's happening next week here in Washington, D.C., the State of the Union Address. Uh, I've seen Joe Biden try to speak at length. I don't think that he's going to attempt that. It's a very high bar to try to reach the length of speech that, say, President Trump would have given at a State of the Union or at his rallies. How do you think that's going to pan out for Joe Biden on Tuesday?
5: Well, I think you're right, Amanda. I think the speech will be shorter than the usual. Like, what did Trump go on for three days, I think? he <laughs> I mean, just never ended. I mean, it was like, oh, God. Um, but Biden... He doesn't write his speeches number one now Trump didn't either, but Trump heavily edited them, just like Obama Obama didn't write, but edited Trump didn't write but edited. Biden doesn't do either. Biden basically uh, you know goes over the prompter a lot or will read the speech a number of times, but only so he doesn't fumble his words, not for editorial content. So I expect the following: I expect it's got excuse du jour, all right, like soup du jour, (laughs) he's going to make excuses for every bad thing that's happened. So it'll either be Trump's fault or Putin's fault or COVID's fault or whatever. He's not going to go in and say, look, it's been a rough year. My first year was a rough year. I didn't anticipate it's going to be this difficult. You know, we're we're working on solving these problems. Not going to do that. He's going to say, you know, this is why I went wrong. It's going to be like a spinorama. That's what I think is going to happen. Um, he'll get roundly criticized for that. But remember, he's not going to run again. That's what people keep forgetting. So Joe Biden knows he's not going to run again. So he just has to survive these
0: things rather than look to the future. Yes, that's an important point to keep in mind. A lot of people don't have that dynamic down yet. Uh, We've got about a minute left. You've got a brand new book coming out in May, Killing the Killers. Tell us what inspired it.
5: Well, uh, people in my town here right now, I'm talking to you from Long Island. You know, we had scores of people killed here. And I I watched their children grow up. And it occurred to me after uh, I I wrote 10 killing books and some most successful nonfiction book series in history that I didn't really know what my government was doing to exact retribution on the jihadists. I, I didn't know. So I decided to find out. And Killing the Killers be out May 3rd is the best reporting, John, I've ever done in my life, in my 46-year-old career. Yeah. I've yeah. never done better reporting than this. And every page, you'll see things you did not know. Some of them are shocking. I, I talked to Cindy Adams today, the yeah. columnist for the New York Post, and she said she was upset reading the book. Yeah. Mm. I said, it should All make right. you upset. Yeah.
0: It should. Well, Bill, we're going to talk a little bit more about that. We've got to take a quick commercial break. We're going to be back with more with Bill O'Reilly in just a few seconds.
4: VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients.
6: As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop.
4: Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact.
2: Welcome back from the break. If you are just now tuning in tonight, welcome. I am your co-host, Amanda Head, here with John Solomon and joined by No Spin News host, the one, the only, Bill O'Reilly. Bill, thank you so much for blessing us with your presence for yet another segment. Sure. Okay, let's continue with that story that you were telling about your book and the anger that it incites in people.
5: Well, Killing the Killers, The a Secret War Against Terrorists is a book that takes you inside the ongoing war against the jihadists. Hmm. So people forget about it because there's no reporting on it, because it's all classified. It's all done from space or special forces. We don't know anything about it unless the president comes out and says, hey, we just whacked another leader of ISIS, which Biden did two weeks ago. Hmm. But every day we are conducting a war, the United States, against Islamic fundamentalists. And it is stunning. So I was uh, fortunate enough to convince Many national security people from David Petraeus and the Bush administration all the way up to the end of the Trump administration to talk to me on deep background and mm-hmm. tell me exactly what the USA is doing, which, of course, I had to verify. Martin Dugard and I had to verify to put in the book and we did. And it's shocking. A lot of the things that that is going on, your, your head will snap back. Uh, they're brutal. They're violent. Um, but we have to do it. Or these people are going to come back and kill more
0: Americans. Yeah, I just got a little bit of a preview of it this week, and I couldn't put it down, Bill. It's amazing reporting. And one of my favorite books is your last book, Killing the Mob. I grew up in a family full of cops who spent a lot of time pursuing the mob. Uh, But I want to flip that title around for a second. Uh, You obviously were talking about organized crime and the extraordinary work of law enforcement but we have this mob mentality that is trying to cancel anybody who doesn't agree with the elite leaders in Washington, New York, and LA. Uh, How do we kill that mob mentality? What's the steps that America needs to take to get back to free speech?
5: Well, the first thing we have to do is what you're actually doing. You and Amanda is reporting on the mob on social media. We have to make Americans aware that there's a whole brand new jihad, of hatred that is being generated in an organized way on social media. Now that story has really not broken wide because uh, the left wing media, the corporate media won't report it. But now you have dark money, people like George Soros and others, donating tens of millions of dollars to very shadowy groups that you've never heard of, who organize people on Twitter and Instagram to attack a Bill O'Reilly. I mean, it actually happened to me Okay, or anybody that they don't like. And it's a very well thought out campaign. And then once they launch the attack, the corporate media picks it up. They don't check it out. They just use the smears Mm -hmm. and then they can justify that in a civil court if you sued them by saying, well, it wasn't us. We're just reporting what was widely distributed on the Internet because the Internet doesn't police this at all. So now it goes further than just journalism and pundits, it goes into electoral politics. There are very good people who would like to run for office, but they're not gonna do it because they know that they'll be hammered and their family will be attacked. And why do they wanna put themselves through the Twitter mob? I mean, it's really insidious and hurting this country tremendously.
2: What do you foresee happening? Because you know, people always say the pendulum is going to swing back in the other direction, but that really only happens when you have a contributory force like gravity happening. This is something that is deliberate. It's like a train plowing down a track, and we've somehow got to get away from that progressive direction. We got to stop the train first. But my concern, as someone who you know I want to have kids one day, is that my kids are going to grow up in a world where, if if we even allow them to be on social media, Every single thing they do can be picked apart.
5: Well, it's already happening. The bullying on social media all over the United States is leading to suicides and depression among children. And I mean, it's, it's way out of control. Um, but what has to happen is Congress, number one, has to get involved and has to pass laws, new libel and slander laws that make it easier for people who are attacked to sue and win in civil court. I mean, there's no doubt that Sarah Palin was defamed. But because they didn't prove malice, a much higher standard for a famous person, the jury didn't come back with an award against the New York Times. Well, it's got to go. They don't do that in England. We got to do the British system. But the most important thing is that Congress has to pass a law that tells the social media companies you cannot post anonymous things. There's got to be a name behind the posting. Okay? That's got to be a federal law. Once that happens, then you'll know who's doing all this smearing and you'll be able to trace back how they're able to do it, who is paying them. Mm -hmm. So that law has to be written and has
0: to be passed. Important ideas, we gotta get them rolling. Um, Speaking of rolling, truckers are rolling to Washington. You said on my podcast last week, the truckers already won and today you were proven right again. Uh, Trudeau had to reverse his emergency powers before parliament stripped him of them. Your thoughts on Canada and what we might see in America in the next couple of weeks.
5: Well, Trudeau is a big loser, obviously, in the uh, trucker situation. I don't think he's going to be reelected. I think the House of Commons will try to get rid of him in the next six months. Here in America, we don't have the urgency because COVID is now on the wane. So there isn't really a central beef uh, that's going to focus the truckers. And I don't expect to see what we saw in Ottawa. Uh, also, the authorities will not let the truckers into Washington, D.C. itself. So they're not going to be able to get into the nation's capital. All right. They're going to be stopped. And it's interesting that Pelosi today called for the National Guard to come out and stop the truckers so they inter- interrupt the State of the Union next Tuesday. Isn't that fascinating? She wouldn't do it for January 6th when Trump warned her that the Guard would be needed. Wouldn't do it. But now she's doing it for Biden. Isn't that fascinating. So I, on the No Spin News tonight, advise the truckers to put the gear in reverse and truck down to the border. That's where we need them. So COVID mandates, are pretty much shot now. But the border is still wide open. Those truckers going down there to El Paso and Tucson and Brownsville, that would redraw attention onto this cataclysmic, policy from the Biden administration at the border. So that's what I hope they do.
2: Well, no one's ever accused Democrats of being consistent on policy. <laughs> um, I, I live in California and our governor said, COVID's waning, but we're gonna still be in a state of emergency and you have other Democrats, state leaders across America doing that. Of course, in Canada, Trudeau doing the same thing, even with numbers going down, he still wants to extend emergency powers. What does it take for them to loosen their grip, their cold dead hands of this power?
0: Well,
5: we already had a recall out there and it didn't work. Um, so, California is uh, a totalitarian state. If you choose to live there, you don't live in a democracy anymore. So, the progressive left is taking it over. Uh, they hold a supermajority in Sacramento and Newsom will do what they say. The best news I've heard here in New York is that Joy Behar says she's going to continue wearing a mask even though she doesn't have to. So that's good news for everyone to muffle her so we don't have to hear it. Um, But look, this is a power play. That's what it is. And, you know, the uh, progressive left, they basically lean toward the totalitarian system. I think that's not a shock. If you go
0: to Havana or Moscow uh, or Beijing, you kind of see it. Yeah, no doubt. Bill, we got just about a minute left. Uh, San Francisco, some school board members were recalled by their own liberal voters. An interesting alliance of Chinese Americans uh, emerging with conservatives and parents. What's the lesson there?
5: Well, I I really think the progressive movement has uh, reached its apex and is on the decline now because nothing they want works. You figure maybe they'd luck out on one or two things. <laughs> Nothing they want works. Yeah. Their economic plan doesn't work. Their criminal justice plan doesn't want work. They put on bad TV programs. They put bad music on the air. <laughs> Nothing works. So I yeah. think people are starting to go, yeah, maybe we wanna get away from this progressive thing.
2: I know the notion that politics is downstream from culture with culture decaying. I, I don't think that that bodes well for any of us, but Bill O'Reilly, once again, truly a pleasure to have you here with us this evening. Thanks for being here. And everybody, go buy his new book, Killing the Killers, when it comes out in May. We'll be right back.
3: Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news.
0: Welcome back, folks. Now, we've all heard all about the election irregularities, the allegations of ballot harvesting, and the court rulings that have clearly said that election laws and procedures were illegally changed in 2020 by bureaucrats, or in some cases, influenced by $350 million in donations from Facebook founder Mark Zuckerberg. But the questions we all have now is do we still have a safe election headed into 22? Are the same problems there, or are we headed on a collision course to more election strife this November? Here to provide us with some insight on that very important issue is Phil Klein, director of the Amistad Project and one of the key individuals on the front lines fighting for election integrity throughout this great country. Phil, great to have you on the show. Thank you, John, Amanda, great to be with you. Um, We learned so much about 2020 after 2020, sadly, and there are a lot of big issues that have been exposed. Have the legislatures, have the election bureaucracies, the courts and Congress lock down these issues are we still heading into some unchartered territories with our next election?
7: No, we still have many of the same problems, John. And part of that is because the legislatures have not taken the time to understand the problem. The $350 million from Zuckerberg is really about one-third of the total money that went into the private management of government election offices to turn them into get-out-the-vote centers for Joe Biden. Improperly so. But on top of that, John, the lion's share of the involvement is the services they provided, which equal the amount of money they gave, plus the expertise and analysis done by third parties who are affiliated with the nonprofits. Much of this is run through uh, a think tank that is organized labor, um, these these multimedia advertisers and social media groups that crunch data, Identify particular Biden voters, likely Biden voters, using sophisticated advertising techniques. Move into the government offices and say, hey, we're here to help. Let us help you turn out the voter. And they target a Biden voter for special government services where those who are likely to vote for Trump don't get the same service. So they treat voters and ballots differently. The laws we have passed have not addressed that because the legislature has not taken the time to understand it. So we're, we're now coming out with proposals to change our election laws to match the modern way people are trying to commit uh, election malfeasance. And hopefully we'll get some attention from these legislators.
2: Yeah, I certainly hope so. Phil, I know that this is kind of dependent on which state we are talking about, but just broadly speaking, are we more secure today In on February 22nd, 21st? I almost lost today. On February 21st, Are we more secure going into midterms than we were the beginning of November in 2020?
7: Well, the only reason we're more secure is because it's harder for the left to carry out its policy in a midterm election, because what they need to do is eviscerate the laws, unilaterally change them, and then have election and ideological conformity in the management of the election. So in other words, they need a Fulton County, Georgia. They need a Wayne County or Detroit, Michigan. They need a Philadelphia county, Philadelphia. And then they manipulate that election management to benefit one candidate. Those areas don't play in the midterm elections. Your swing congressional seats do not have that ideological conformity. So we're safer in 2022 because of that. But I've got to tell you, I'll give you an example. Georgia passed a law claiming they banned private money in elections. They actually codified it. They actually allowed Zuckerberg to do exactly what he did, because they they worded the law improperly because they didn't understand and take this, the time
0: to understand the problem. So we are not ready
7: for 2024.
0: Wow. That's uh, those are some big things that we've we got to be looking at. Uh, I want to step back for a second. There have been some really dramatic developments. You might not know if you read the mainstream media, but if you're watching Real America's Voice, you do. Uh, Wisconsin court rules that ballot boxes, uh, ballot harvest, the uh, mobile ballot boxes were illegal. They should never have been distributed, uh, that people should never have been allowed to skip voter ID when they did their absentee ballots in Wisconsin. Uh, And then this week, or in the last week, a lawsuit in Michigan uh, sued the Secretary of State saying she took Zuckerberg's dollars specifically to try to help Joe Biden win. Your reaction to the fact that these things are now getting into the courts?
7: Well, yes, and, and we're winning. The problem is many of the laws don't have remedies, John. So the Wisconsin Supreme Court said dropbox are illegal. So what do you do about it? The Wisconsin or or other courts are saying, like the uh, indefinitely confined in Wisconsin, they had to have a voter ID, but there's no remedy for it. So one of the things we're proposing is remedies and getting people into court earlier so these illegalities can be identified and actually stopped before they impact an election. So. It's obvious, and I think the American people are smart about this. They know the election was managed in an unprecedented, unfair way and that things need to change. But let me give you an example of what the left is doing. Just last week, despite the ruling in Wisconsin that drop boxes are illegal, um, the, the Department of Justice and Attorney General Garland put out a missive that said it's a violation of the American with Disabilities Act not to have a drop box out by the street for those who are disabled. So they're using the administrative state to force these issues into state law and threatening those who would defy them. If they're weaponizing the Department of Justice, they're weaponizing these laws against state legislators, and they're the ones who have the responsibility, the duty, and the authority to manage the election. So the left is trying to do it again through the administrative state, and we've gotta take them head
3: on. We've
2: just got about a minute and a half left I think that as conservatives, we have been really uh, poor at messaging on election integrity in general, although I would argue that that you and, and the Homicide Project have done a tremendous amount of outreach. Um, but but just on the notion of voter suppression, that Democrats, you know, this is a mantle that they love to take up. But isn't it voter suppression to allow an illegal vote to replace that of a legal citizen? It seems like pretty simple messaging that that is in its most basic element, voter suppression.
7: That's right. When you go back to the turn of the century, when there was Jim Crow laws in the early 1900s and so forth, there were two efforts that were racially motivated to suppress the vote and turn out the vote. They put a a polling place on every block where there was a white neighborhood and maybe one with limited hours in a black neighborhood. Plus, they oppressed the vote through violence and poll taxes and so forth. Here we're seeing the same thing. We are seeing them target specific populations to turn out the vote if it's gonna vote for their candidate and suppress the vote by claiming COVID concerns where where there are strong uh, voters for the other side. It's amazing. It's government playing the same thing. It has to stop. The it tables, is a destructive force.
0: The tables have been flipped. You've done a great job, Phil, in bringing all this to light. We can't wait to bring you back on the show real soon. Thank you. All right, folks, we're gonna take a quick commercial break. We're gonna be back in just a few
3: seconds. Figure Lending, LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org.
0: All right, folks, welcome back for our last segment. We saved a really good guest for there. We have joining us right now Congressman Ralph Norman from the great state of South Carolina. Congressman, honored to have you on the show today. i well, to be with you, John and Amanda. You have been one of the most articulate voices in Congress, warning that Biden's foreign policy would get us into lots of entanglements. Now we're seeing a new one, Afghanistan being the first. What, uh, what is your take right now in the situation between Ukraine and Russia? John,
6: is, is probably, you know, it's, it's expected. I mean, he's weak. Uh, he's, it, this would have never happened under President Trump. Uh, he's, all we get is words from this administration, and it's not just from Biden because he's not addressing the press. Uh, He he takes no questions as he's doing here. Uh, Anthony Blinken uh, is pretty much just avoiding the issue. Remember when Mike Pompeo was pretty much addressing the nation weekly? Uh, on the situation, regardless of where it was. Yeah. And uh, it's missing in action. And it's, so it's no surprise that of, of what's happening. And it's real sad because look at what the message that is sending to our allies. Uh, you know, if, if Afghanistan wasn't bad enough uh, with the, the negativity that other countries saw with not only the dead Americans, but the withdrawal, uh, leaving the $80 billion behind of information that should never have been left, Uh, helicopters and and all of the above, but uh, it's expected. And I think whatever his address is, it'll just be words, they have no meaning.
2: Congressman, uh, there has been a lot of military equipment that has been decommissioned. It's, It's valued at $0 for United States Armed Services. We can't use it anymore. It's still usable though. Aren't there other kind of backdoor ways to help out Ukraine? Like, I don't know, sending them that decommissioned equipment?
6: Well, yeah. I mean, when, when they say it's decommissioned, what does that actually mean? And is it really something that this administration follows through with? Uh, why didn't they do that in Afghanistan? Yeah. Uh, why are these options? When we, had, when we had the briefing and the SCIF on things that were going on in, in Ukraine, uh, none of this was ever brought up. We said, what are your sanctions going to be? Uh, is it going to be with the North Stream pipeline? Is it going to be with troops? Is it going to be with air power? What is it? And he didn't know, and neither did uh, Blinken or uh, Milley or General Austin. So, when they say decommission the the the, you know the thing, the tools that we could use, I I don't know if that makes any difference or not. Uh, I know he's not sending any message to us uh, as members of Congress uh, about what he's going to do and whether it will mean anything or not. Yeah.
0: I want to ask you about energy, a two, two, two-tiered question here. First, uh, what's the impact on the U.S. energy sector from this conflict now that we've got uh, the both our own pipeline shut down and maybe now the sanctioned Russian pipeline? And second, you've been digging into Secretary uh, Granholm's finances. And I know you've got some important investigative work you've been I'd like to hear about that as well. John, what we did
6: is send her a letter back on May 12th Right. Uh, In June, we've got a just a tepid response. We're complying. Here's what happened. Uh, This administration uh, and under Jennifer Granholm, who was on the board, who had stock. She made capital gains of a million six. She paid a fine of a whopping four hundred dollars for not reporting the trades that uh, that for six months that went on. And, you know, here's a lady who should know the ropes. I mean, she was governor for eight years. She was attorney general for four years. She's had 12 years uh, in the political arena. And for her just not to, to respond to our letter meaningfully, and for her just to violate uh, the stock transactions that are on the record, you can't make this up. And I think the moments Clause in the Constitution, Article I, Section 9, are in place. And, uh, you know, I could not believe it when the president of the United States went on a virtual tour of Proterra on April 20th, uh, you know, proclaiming that, you know, batteries are here to stay and there could be a shortage. And by the way, Proterra makes uh, batteries and they're in South Carolina, not in my district, but they're in South Carolina and employ 250 to 400 people. But there's no excuse for what happened. There's no excuse for her not to respond. I sent her a letter on February 14th. And uh, we did, we had nine other uh, congressmen that signed on to provide some information.
2: Congressman, we know that Joe Biden doesn't exactly have uh, a strong, well, what's the word I'm looking for, reputation on the world stage. Um, But here at home, you've still got Democrats who support him and and lap up everything he does. I call them janitor journalists and mainstream media. How do they spin this uh, going into the State of the Union address? I don't
6: think they can spend it, Amanda. I mean, people are paying 50% more to gas pumps. Uh, look what they're doing with, you know, the the empowering Russia with the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. Look what they're doing with uh, this past weekend on the Wall Street Journal. They had what uh, Grand Home is failing to do with FERC. Uh, yeah. the, you know, and so she's making it harder for Americans uh, to, one, pay for gas. And it's not just that. I mean, look at what they're paying for the food on the shelves or not on the shelves in grocery store. And the list goes on and on. I don't think he can spend it uh, because American people know he can say it, but the American people are not going to buy
0: it. That's exactly right, sir. Sir, we're so grateful for the oversight work you do. We're going to be keeping a close eye on this grand home issue because it really is a big ethics issue. And we want to thank you for your time tonight. My pleasure. Thank you. A great honor to have you on. Well, folks, I can't believe it, but the hour is over already. A big thanks to all of our great guests for helping us understand what's happening here in our backyard and all across the world. And for all of us here tonight, I want to say thank you for watching and may God bless you and your family as you go to bed. All right, folks, welcome back for the commercial break. Yep, our time is up. It's hard to believe, but our time is up. We'll be back Monday with regular programming. I hope you're having fun. I was having fun at CPAC this weekend and getting you some more interviews that we'll bring you, of course, next week. All right, folks, until then, may God bless you and may God bless this extraordinary country of the United States. Yep, you've been listening to John Solomon Reports, the podcast from Just the News.